some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. going on folks good afternoon to you this is the quick six for this monday october the 28th 2019 week of halloween hope you and yours are doing well i'm jason martin host of the big six several podcasts as well as the jason martin show heard nationwide on fox sports radio 3 to 6 a.m eastern time 2 to 5 in our time zone here if you're listening in nashville this show is where i react to football if you're new to the program uh, I'm just going to stream of consciousness, go through what's on my mind after watching college football, watching the NFL, and it gives me an opportunity to opine faster than my first show during football season, which usually is on Wednesdays because of Titans Radio on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday. I'm only on twice a week. This week, I'm actually only on once. Uh, you won't hear me on the radio again until Friday uh, because of Tennessee basketball on Wednesday night, so even more of a reason to get all of this out here right now and there may be some other things coming there's going to be a pop six on the office we are finally finishing and paying off that thing after months of empty promises and my apologies for that but david reed rep brian and i are going to sit down tomorrow afternoon and finish it up do our talent draft and get that one to you also real quick just a few plugs watchman review of episode two is up as well as both titans and vols takeaways pieces and i will be writing uh, a pro and con piece maybe later today Uh, I may not put it up until Wednesday. It's possible it will go up tomorrow on what I think of All Elite Wrestling's first month on the air, the pros and cons, the good and the bad, the things that I've liked and the things that I still think they can improve upon. Overall, I'm really enjoying it, though, but I don't want to go too much further into that. Also, there's this Jordan Miles controversy going on. It's something I probably would address on the Big Six, but let me just quickly put it out here because this is sort of my platform to talk to you. The Jordan Miles thing is troubling, and it's troubling me because when I first saw it, I did not immediately have the reaction that he did. I don't have the background that Jordan Miles does. Jordan Miles is an African-American, a black pro wrestler, incredibly talented, high-flying guy who's known for a wide smile and just a whole lot of energy. And he worked on the independent scene for a long time and was signed by... Vince McMahon, Triple H, WWE, and he's in the NXT group right now, which is the brand that runs on Wednesday nights opposite AEW. And so he has a T-shirt that they've created for him. And he did not want the shirt when he saw the design. And he has posted the photo of it because I guess they there was some kind of miscommunication. or See, that's the thing. I don't know all of this, but it looks like Triple H approved this, that he thought it was perfect for the character. And what it is is... It's a black t-shirt with a dark red, the equivalent of a mouth, like a smiling mouth. And inside this red mouth are giant white teeth that spell out the words Jordan Miles. This is troubling because of historical blackface and things of that nature. And 
like I said, I'm kind of getting quiet and I'm talking and I'm looking up into the sky while I'm saying this because I don't know exactly. It's not even that I don't know how I feel. I feel kind of gross that my reaction is still sort of, I don't want to just assume that something was racist or something was intentionally designed to demean someone else. But I also, when I kept reading what Jordan Miles had to say, and I read some of the responses, and I've heard some of the people talk about this, it bothers me that I didn't even see it as that big of a deal when I first saw it, because I should. And if there's one thing that I am trying to learn and trying to grow in, it is, I mean, I'm tolerant, but not just tolerance, but understanding, and actually not immediately assigning the worst motives to everybody and everything. But that goes on both sides. And so I also have to empathize with the feelings of others, even if I don't share them, even if they're not things that that fully apply to me. So Jordan Miles' response to this, I didn't see it from his perspective. And so right now, regardless of my own conclusions that I could draw, I just feel bad for him. And then there's a piece of me that immediately jumps to, well, he wants to get sprung because he's not happy with how he's not really being used where he is, and he'd love to get to AEW because it's the new hot product and all of these kinds of things. So this is a way to make him toxic to WWE so they'll let him go. That's not what I want to do. And that is, it's not symptomatic of anything other than me being too cynical and too pessimistic about the world. That could be what's going on here, and it could be a totally innocent thing. But I... I hope that I learned through things like this how to view things, and I think we could all maybe sit back at times and just hear the opinions of others. This bothered Jordan Miles. That's his character name in NXT. And he is certainly using it as a platform, and he's using it to try and raise awareness, he said, and to be heard and things of that nature. And so I want to hear him. So I don't want to say, this is racist, this is not racist. I want to say that based on what he's telling me, Something that I probably would have just looked past and not even thought too much about. I thought it's an awful looking shirt, but past that, I didn't necessarily equate anything to it. I just want to see things from everybody's perspective. It's a complicated issue. It doesn't have a simple solution. But it, I can't step into Jordan Miles' life. I can't step into his mindset and his mentality. So instead... It's probably better for me to listen to his mentality and listen to him describe his mindset and then just hopefully bear that in mind along with my own wisdom and try to view the world and operate in the best way that I know how. This is not a good thing. Hopefully, it'll be the last of its kind, but it it just bothers me that there's still so much that I look blindly past and don't don't give enough credence to. And there are things in my life that I see that offend me that wouldn't offend you. And there are things that you see in your life that would offend the crap out of you but wouldn't bother me a bit. Just It just depends on our perspective. But And we can't walk on eggshells around everything. We can't not offend people at all costs and all of these kinds of things because then we would never speak. We would never do anything. But this, the more I think about it, the more not only do I empathize with Jordan Miles' position, but I kind of agree with Jordan Miles' position. Ultimately, this is not the worst thing in the world. But this is, this is the kind of thing that probably shouldn't be happening. 
It's the kind of thing that should not get through levels of quality control that that design would be approved because it says something about the black professional wrestler. It says something about how he is treated and how he is viewed or how she is treated and how she is viewed. And unfortunately, and I've written about this before, I wrote about it at SB Nation years ago, there are far too many historical examples, even just in recent years, of black professional wrestlers being treated as if they're just entertainment and fodder. They just want to go out there and have fun and dance and sing and all this kind of stuff. There's not an empowerment there. And I think that might be what Jordan Miles is looking at. It's like, look, if that's all my character is to you, is just this smiling dude that performs for you, that I don't have more depth, that you can't create more of a story for me that doesn't go to the same place that it always seems to go, then that's a problem. And that means I'm probably in the wrong place. That's the way he feels. So I've just kind of gone roundabout over the last five or six minutes. I didn't even know I was going to talk about this. And I still don't have the answer. But I can tell you that Jordan Miles' opinion should not be thrown out. It should not be discarded. You should not roll your eyes at it and just assume this is somebody trying to get over or trying to make a name for himself. That is cynicism. It could be that. But we don't know. And so I, I'm just going to listen to Jordan Miles, and I'm going to watch this story, and I'm going to see whether or not WWE feels the need to apologize and say, hey, you know, we, we need to be a little bit more sensitive to these things. And I'm not one that believes in overt political correctness. I think that it's destructive. I think it keeps us from being able to talk and be honest and be truthful about things and actually have debates and grow as human beings. But this made Jordan Miles, from all I can say, and I'm going to take him at his word, this made him feel like less than. And that's not okay. That's all i got to say now, and I'm going to continue to, to think about this and ponder it. And maybe by the time I'm on the air on Friday, I'll have a lot more to say about it. Right now, I'm, I probably sound unintelligent to you. I'm just... This is a stream of consciousness, consciousness show without a break where I just talk to you. I'm sitting here with my phone in my hand and I'm talking directly into the microphone and then you're going to hear it a few hours later. And this is, these are unvarnished thoughts. Sometimes they are happening in real time. There's no preparation behind this. So if this is kind of like, just kind of confused you, my apologies for that, but I felt like it needed to be said. And we do need to listen to each other, hear what they're saying, and not just immediately discard it because it's something that's uncomfortable or unfamiliar to us. And now let's talk about the weekend football, which it was definitely an interesting weekend football. The AP Top 25, after Oklahoma's loss, moved the Sooners down to number 10 in the country with that loss to Kansas State. One loss... Seven and one, they dropped five spots to the number 10 ranking. The coaches have them at number nine. I actually have them at number seven. I'll give you my rankings in a second. But I want to talk about a larger issue. And this is what I let off the Jason Martin show with on Saturday, or on Sunday morning, rather. If you are Lincoln Riley, the Cowboys may come coming with money, right? Or another NFL team may come and offer you the farm to come and be their Sean McVay, to be their Andy Reid, to be their offensive savior, their Kyle Shanahan. 
And you have proven in your time at Oklahoma how good you are. There's no, no real denying that. You've had back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners, and Jalen Hurts has combined for 30 touchdowns, 20 through the air, and 10 on the ground. He looks like a far different player than he did at Alabama. But the margin for error for a coach in college and the margin for error for a coach in the pros would have me seriously considering, if I'm Lincoln Riley, how much more I really want to sustain as the head coach of the University of Oklahoma. And I know that sounds insane, but let me lay this out for you real quick. At OU, the expectations are sky high. Barry Switzer, Bob Stoops, they have had a lot of success. They're always generally in the top 10. Certainly have been under Lincoln Riley. He's gone to the college football playoff two seasons in a row with Baker Mayfield lost and with Kyler Murray lost. Lost to Clemson the first time, lost to Alabama last year. With that said, is that a success? In college, it might not be. One loss, Oklahoma, last week I had them number two in my poll, and certainly they were high-ranked, despite not having played a just stellar schedule. But they lose one game and they're now 10th. And the chances, based on their schedule and what they have left over, they have Oklahoma State not having a great year, they have Baylor who's actually undefeated, but it's Baylor, and then they have two teams that aren't going to move the needle for you very much. There is a very good argument to say that their chances of getting into the top four are gone because of one loss. If you don't get into the top four, you'll probably still play in a New Year's Six Bowl, but that's an exhibition. Other than the college football playoff, none of this matters in terms of really anything. I mean, what does a bowl win mean? What means you won a bowl? What does a championship mean? It means you're a champion or you had an opportunity to play for a championship. One loss to Kansas State on the road, and you made a valiant comeback, which may save you, but now you need a lot of help from people above you in order to be back in that mix. This opened the door for two SEC schools to get into the playoff. Ohio State looks like a lock because they look so good right now, but of course they're going to have an opportunity to lose Penn State and Michigan looming. Clemson's probably going to get there. And maybe even a Pac-12 school can get there. But Oklahoma is now on the outside looking in. And so is the Big 12. So let me bring you back to this margin for error point. He loses one game and his season is off or not. Who cares if he wins on New Year's Day? The fans want to win championships or they want to be able to compete and there are only four teams to get that opportunity. One is your margin for error. I need, folks, my margin for error as a professional in life, especially as a coach in athletics. I need my margin of error to be bigger than one. Consider the idea that in the NFL, you can lose seven games and make the playoffs and then have an opportunity still to reach a Super Bowl. There are teams with with a losing record that have actually made the playoffs in the past. So your margin for error in college is one sometimes. Your margin for error in the NFL is six or seven. I mean, Vrabel's already lost four games this year, but there's a possibility the Tennessee Titans could still make the playoffs. And once they do, everybody's zero and zero, and all you have to do is win a few games in a row, and you've got a chance to play for a Super Bowl. If Vrabel was in Oklahoma, 
and he was 4-4 four and four right now, the season wouldn't just be over. His job would probably be in jeopardy. Lincoln Riley has to recruit, and he has to bring in people when he has to use the system, and then if he loses a game, it doesn't matter. Three months of work, one game gone. And I know when you get to the playoffs in the NFL, one game and you could be done. But you're in the playoffs. That's the key. Four teams make the playoffs in college. So if I am Lincoln Riley and Jerry Jones comes and offers me the farm, somehow, and this is stunning to be able to say this, I think there is much less pressure for Lincoln Riley to go coach the Dallas Cowboys of all teams than it is to stay in Oklahoma where his margin for error is one. Every year that Oklahoma doesn't win the national championship but has these stellar offensive performances and all of this, to me is a year closer to Lincoln Riley saying I've had enough of this and going full Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon and plying his trade in the NFL. And you can't blame him because this has to be infuriating. They came back and made this thing a game, but at one point they were down nearly 20. The defense let them down. Alex Grinch, everybody's been talking about him all season. Well, Kansas State torched him. They scored on eight possessions in a row. Kansas State's quarterback ran for four touchdowns in that game. One Bad day, and Oklahoma might be out of the mix for the college football playoff. If I'm Lincoln Riley, I'm about to have enough of that. Tennessee. I was in Knoxville on Saturday with my wife, David Reed, and his wife, Brad Willis, his wife, Philip Noel, Titans Radio. We watched that game, and that was the most complete performance the Vols have had in two or three years as far as I'm concerned. Everything worked. After that opening touchdown, Tennessee, once they got the lead, they just were not going to surrender that thing once they got a real lead. The officiating was, yet again, absolutely hideous. What we saw in the second quarter just can't happen. They end up moving the guy who called both those touchdowns that weren't. They moved him to the other side of the field, and then in the second half, he's the one that said J.T. Shrout was short on that scramble down the right side when he went out of bounds trying to get the first down. So that guy probably shouldn't have a job, but these guys as a crew probably shouldn't work again this year. This was atrocious. The SEC officiating is a joke. Greg Sankey's statement, I love Greg Sankey, but that statement they put out and those stats about how many things haven't been overturned and all the things that they're doing, I, I don't know what to say here, but you can't be much worse than they've been this season. It's not just in this game, although this one was incredibly and weirdly one-sided. There might have been one call that South Carolina didn't get that they could have, but Tennessee had five or six egregious ones go against them, including a non-targeting call that victimized them and a targeting call that did not get made that should have knocked a guy out for South Carolina when he hit Tyler Bird out of bounds. They didn't even review that. And Jawan Jennings got hit on the touchdown play late. Jawan Jennings, by the way, man. Just a grown, grown human being. Nobody could cover 15 in a garnet jersey for South Carolina. I guess they were wearing white on Saturday, but still. It didn't matter. They were basically waving the white flag as they were running up and down the field because Jawan Jennings did anything he wanted. Marquez Callaway and that punt return scintillating. Daniel Batuli getting healthier, and as he is, this defense gets better because he's the leader on the field. Daryl Taylor's just a beast out there. Just manhandling people. Between him and Batuli, they had a great day. Secondary did a pretty nice job for the most part. It took a ridiculous, one of the best catches you'll ever see from Edwards down the side to set up one of those touchdowns. 
It was a complete performance. Special teams were good. Offense was good. Credit to Garantano for running that offense, for, again, not checking out, even after everything last week. And credit, by the way, to the country for not overreacting to the Pruitt-Garantano thing from last week. Yes, we talked about it a little bit, but I thought it might end up being a much bigger story than it was. Good for people not to immediately just use that to soapbox because I don't think that Jeremy Pruitt meant anything by that. And you saw him embrace Jared Garantano on Saturday. J.T. Shroud made some plays. Beautiful pass to Callaway that turned into that long touchdown. And from my angle, because I was behind the play, you could see Callaway get a step and go across the field left to right, and Shroud saw it too and just laid it right in there in stride, easy touchdown. This Tennessee team would not have lost to Georgia State. This Tennessee team would not have lost to BYU. This Tennessee team would have started 3-0 and given Florida all they wanted. Too bad you can't go back and replay those. But you heard what I said. I've said it for weeks. The South Carolina game was the turning point game. If they won it, there would be momentum to carry them through a weak rest of the schedule. Not that you can't lose all those games, but UAB for homecoming. You got Kentucky, you got Missouri, you got Vanderbilt. Not one of those games is a game I don't think Tennessee can win. I believe they can run the table from this point on and finish 7-5. and five. They might finish 6-6. Six and six. That still makes them bowl eligible. This was a big win, a great performance. That crowd was unbelievable. This is the third time I've been to Neyland Stadium ever, and they've both been in the last two years. Florida last year, not great. Kentucky last year, very good. This year, best performance, and the crowd, even though it was just 87,000, they were loud, and they got very behind this team. And I saw a lot of people saying, that's the loudest we've heard that building in a long time. It was a wonderful environment to be in. It was a great afternoon and evening for football. Just a little bit of a sprinkle. I know it was raining a lot more here in Nashville than it was down there in Knoxville. But that was awesome. And now I think that your fans are going to come back. Now you're going to get closer to that 100,000. You go and you beat UAB. All of a sudden you're 4-5. and five, And you've got three SEC games remaining against three beatable teams. Missouri, not as good over the last two weeks. Kentucky, okay, now the elements caused some of the problem there in that game on Saturday, but you can beat Kentucky and you can definitely beat Vanderbilt. I'm not going to predict 7-5, and five, but if it happens, I don't think anybody should be the least bit surprised. Super impressive performance by Tennessee. The quarterbacks played very, very well. Ty Chandler, finally, they called his number a lot, and he was effective out there. But the defensive performance, the offensive line, keeping the quarterback upright, and just good decision-making all through this game. Just a, It was an excellent performance. It really was. And then the, the block punt for Batuli was just one of those where, okay, we're going to make sure we win in all facets. They had a block punt for a touchdown, and they had a punt return for a touchdown. This was beautiful stuff if you're a Vols fan. It really was. My wife was very excited uh, about all of this that was going on, as were all the people around us. Just a great day, minus the officials, which I don't even know what to say at this point. So here's my top ten. After the events of Saturday in college football, Georgia was out of my top 10 last week. They're back in right now at 10. The AP has them at eight. I've got them at 10. They're a one loss team. I'm going to put two Pac 12 schools above them. Oregon, who lost to Auburn in the very first game of the season, which first game losses to me don't matter as much as any other loss that you can put. Second week, I'll count. First week, weird things happen because you're just getting back to action. Maybe there's no rhythm. 
Maybe you got some, some new guys out there that are still trying to form chemistry and camaraderie. Strange things happen. And it wasn't like Oregon got blown out in that game. They've beaten Washington last week and came back to beat Wazoo and that crazy finish with the freshman kicker on Saturday. That was a great game to end your night. I've got Utah at eight. Oregon and Utah, nine and eight. I think you could make an argument that Oregon should actually be in the eight spot because of what I just said about it being the first week. Utah lost at USC. This coming Saturday, we're going to see Oregon and USC. That should be a great football game. But however you want to stack it, I got Georgia, Oregon, and Utah 10 through 8. Number 7, I've got Oklahoma. Yeah, that wasn't a good loss. It was on the road. Kansas State does have some talent, but it was a 4-4 four and four in-conference team. Like This was a basically a 500 team that beat Oklahoma that wasn't even good in the Big 12. So yeah, it hurts. And the defense was very bad in this game at a time where they did not need it. The offense tried to play their way back into it, and they did make this thing a fight. They didn't lay down and die, which may help them ultimately if you come down to the standings, if things go their way and they're able to claw their way back into the CFP discussion. But you can't, I mean, you have to drop them. That was a an unranked team that they lost to. Number six, I've got Florida. Florida's only loss was at night in Baton Rouge to LSU. And they didn't get blown out. They just weren't quite as good. They couldn't score with them. So I don't have any problem putting a one-loss Florida team at six. Number five, here's James Franklin. Undefeated 8-0. Dominated Michigan State. Looks really good and is going to have an opportunity to beat Ohio State. And what a game that should be. 8-0 versus 8-0. Can't wait to watch that one. I don't know how Penn, how good Penn State is against the best competition, but I know that they're doing everything they need to do right now. Number four, I've got Clemson. Moving up one spot. They looked pretty good on Saturday. They're still just kind of coasting. I still don't think we've seen the best football from Clemson, but they'll be in the college football playoff because they should not lose. They're going to be favored in every other game, just like they have been all year long, and they're going to be heard from, and they're going to have an opportunity to win in the end. Alabama crushed Arkansas, even without Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Impressive. I'll hold them at three, though. I want to see what Tua's health looks like, quite frankly, uh, because they can't beat LSU without him. And it's going to be touch and go. I still would be stunned if he doesn't play, and I think there'll be games with Ship, and they'll say he's questionable, but I think he'll be out there against LSU in a couple of weeks. Number two, and this is tough, but the thing is, I've been consistent over the past three weeks of who I thought number one is, and they haven't done anything but continue to win, so I don't want to change it. But Ohio State blistered Wisconsin, embarrassed them, basically. And that's a game that was 0-0 in the second quarter. Justin Fields is number two on my Heisman ballot, but you could argue he's number one. I've got Ohio State at two. Their defense is ridiculous. Young is incredible. He grades the highest as a pass rusher, as a defensive end, since Miles Garrett did at A&M in 2014. Just an absolute beast. His stats were off the charts against Wisconsin. That is an outstanding football team that Ryan Day has put together in Columbus this season as his first year as head coach. And then LSU, I've still got at number one. They had to pack a bit of a lunch to win that game. The weather certainly didn't help things, but they won the game. They still did what they had to do, and that's not a bad team they beat. Not at all in Auburn. Auburn was in my top ten last week. Had to drop them just out of it because that is two losses. But they're right there. They're right there in that 11 or 12 spot, wherever you want to put them. Then you got some other undefeated teams like – Minnesota, and Minnesota's going to get an opportunity to make 8-0 matter, but that's the first time that they've been 8-0, period, since I think it's 1949. 
when they actually won a championship. So even if the schedule is weak, it's still impressive, and I'm sure it's fun for P.J. Fleck and that crew, and they've got some tough ones coming up. But they'll have an opportunity to prove themselves. No question about that. SMU's undefeated, okay, and Baylor is undefeated. And Baylor is a team that Oklahoma does have on their schedule, which I'm sure they're glad about right now. Also, App State, number 20 in the country, 7-0, and same deal. So that's where we are. My college football top 10 again, Georgia at 10, Oregon at 9, Utah at 8. I'm almost ready to flip that and put Oregon at 8 because I think that their loss coming in week one to a good Auburn team is, is a little better than Utah's loss on the road to Southern Cal. 7 is Oklahoma after the loss to Kansas State, Florida at 6, Penn State at 5, Clemson at 4, Alabama at 3, Ohio State at 2, and LSU at 1. And I don't think LSU and Ohio State are separated by much right now. Now to the NFL. Interesting games all across the board. We'll talk about Tennessee here in one second, but quickly. Vikings beat the Redskins in not a very good game on Thursday night. Colts, Jacoby Brissett, man. I, I've been on this guy since, I said last year, when he was the backup, that I would try to get him if I could and make him a starter on a lot of teams in this league. And you saw why on Sunday when he made that ridiculous escape in the end zone and found T.Y. Hilton, which set up that winning field goal. Joe Flacco openly speaking out about the conservative, don't want to lose instead of play to win nature of the Broncos, a two and six team now. Flacco's not good, but he was right with what he said. Colts are five and two. That's one it looked like Denver had, and that would have certainly helped out the Titans, but nope. Jacoby Brissett said no, and Vinatieri comes out and hits a 51 yarder. He's, he's shown some blemishes this year, but a big one there, and the Colts are five and two. Seahawks over the Falcons, 27 to 20 is not as much as I thought. Metcalf, DK Metcalf, the rookie, had two touchdowns in this game. I thought the Seahawks might put up 40 in this game because the Falcons are that bad. And they had Matt Schaub out there. But 27 to 20, the Falcons play pretty hard at home. They're just not very good. And Dan Quinn needs to be out of a job. Eagles and Bills. I picked Philadelphia to win this game because I looked at the Bills and I just said, where exactly is the offense coming from? They don't have a lot of weapons. They've got Cole Beasley, he caught a touchdown. They've got John Brown, he's really fast. But they've got a quarterback that's still shaky, still trying to learn his way, and the Eagles just can't be this bad, right? Well, they're 4-4, four and four, but they actually had an offense on this day, and they kind of blew out the Bills at home. Or pardon me, they blew out the Bills in Buffalo on Sunday. Chargers beat the Bears because the Bears miss a field goal as time expires. 17-16, L.A. over Chicago on the road at Soldier Field. What else is new? The Bears just, Trubisky's out here again, just not being able to do very much. Montgomery actually ran effectively in this game. Bears haven't been able to run the ball this year. Their margin for error is so small because they are a defensively-led team. Trubisky's not the guy. I think that's pretty well established at this point. And the Chargers, as battered and bruised as they were, went in and got a big win, kept some kind of hope alive, and they're 3-5. and five. Lions over the Giants in a pretty entertaining game. Three touchdowns from Matt Stafford. Saquon Barkley, we've seen the highlight of him throwing some dude down after trucking over another dude. I'd want that guy on my team. I don't think there's any, any harm in saying that. Leonard Williams has been added to the Giants today, trade with the Jets. Leonard Williams, who we thought was going to be fantastic coming out of SC, just has not been. Maybe a change of scenery, even though it'll still be in the same building, may help them out. But the Giants are 2-6. and six. That's a bad division. It just is. It's a bad division. And the Lions needed this one to keep some kind of pace. They're a pretty good team that probably should be 4-2-1, and one, but 
the officials made sure that the Packers won that game a couple weeks ago on Monday night, so they're 3-3-1. Three, three and one. Probably not going to make the playoffs, but not a bad football team. Not somebody you want to see because they're going to play hard. They've got a pretty decent defense, and Stafford knows what he's doing. Rams over the Bengals in London. Two touchdowns from Goff. I thought this could have been worse, too, actually. Five and three Rams still in it. The loss, the losses that they've sustained hurt them, but they, they're, they're not out of it, and there's still plenty of time left for them. The Bengals are 0 and 8. I'm not going to say it's Zach Taylor's fault. They don't have a good team there. They don't have a, a good quarterback there. They've had A.J. Green banged up all year. They've got Joe Mixon and a bunch of dudes that you don't know. But Zach Taylor, it's not like you thought when he got hired, oh, that's going to be the thing that changes. We don't even know who the guy is. I don't think we're ever going to know in time because he's probably not going to keep that job long enough to keep it. Drew Brees comes back in, throws three touchdowns. Michael Thomas making plays. Saints are 7-1. and one. They crushed the Cardinals 31-9, to nine, although Kyler Murray did make a couple of plays in that game. I still don't know why Drew Brees came back, except maybe against weaker opposition and a defense that you don't fear. You're not putting him out there in a situation where he's going to be threatened, so per- perhaps you can get the rust off against a weaker opponent. I still probably would have waited because Teddy Bridgewater could have beaten the Cardinals, and I, I don't think anybody denies that. Jaguars over the Jets. Pick this one. Pretty easy. Darnold throws three more interceptions. Boy, did he have a bad week. Gets mic'd up, talks about seeing ghosts. Uh, the controversy rages about that. I think Jeff Schwartz changed my mind on it. I didn't think it was a big deal, but the fact of the matter is you're not supposed to gotcha with those mic'd up segments. The NFL Films, and I don't think ESPN had anything to do with it, but NFL Films probably should have thought that one better because that's going to stick to Darnold. And this Jaguars defense victimized him, as they have done many times, Jalen Ramsey or not. And the Jags are 4-4, four and four, just like the Tennessee Titans, with a game coming up here in a few weeks between those two teams, which is essentially going to be a knockout game. And that's only if both teams win on the run-up to that game, which will be played in Nashville. 49ers, 7-0. and Hard not to say they're the best team in the NFC right now. You can say it's the Saints. You can say it's Green Bay. I'm going to say it's San Francisco right now. It's not, by the way, because of Jimmy Garoppolo. He's sort of still kind of average. Kyle Shanahan's making him look like a million bucks. That defense is outrageous. Tevin Coleman had four touchdowns in this game. Panthers had a good defense, and then they gave up a 50 spot to San Fran on the road on Sunday. Next up for the Panthers, your Tennessee Titans. And the Panthers at 4-3 and three are going to need that win. So that is going to be a tough one that was already going to be tough, now even more tough. Uh, on the road on Sunday in Charlotte. Patriots, undefeated 8-0. Defense statistically the best ever now through eight games. Browns are 2-5. and five. I'm not surprised. I told you this. I told you they might have a chance for a wild card. They weren't going to win that division, and I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs. I definitely don't think they're going to make the playoffs now. Looks like the Ravens are going to win that division. Steelers might be number two on that chart. Obviously, the Bengals are bad. The Browns, this shouldn't be any kind of day where you point fingers the pats are really good and the browns made some early mistakes that they could not dig themselves out of even though they played a lot better in the second half another one of those games where tom brady didn't have to be great it didn't matter but the pats continue to win they will be in the super bowl for the afc texans 27 24 tough one watson throws for three touchdowns in the game he's probably the mvp favorite right now he would get my vote just unbelievable One of his touchdown throws, I don't know how he escaped. I don't know how he did it. 
just as impressive or almost as impressive as what we saw Aaron Rodgers do on his miraculous stuff in the second half. Watson has been incredible. This was a costly win for the Texans because they lost J.J. Watt. Torn pack out for the rest of the season. That's the third time in four years that he's had a season-ending injury pretty early. I feel bad for J.J. Watt, but can I ask a question real quick? And I don't know a whole lot about workout regimens and all of these kinds of things. I mean, I work out every day or five days a week, and I run, and I do lifting and all that stuff. But not to that degree, not even close. There are things that he does that I've seen on video that I don't even know what it is. I've had to ask people what those tension ropes are and things of that nature. My stuff's pretty basic, especially at my age. But is it possible that J.J. Watt works out too hard and that even though he's got you know, the look that he does and all of that kind of stuff, and that gives him strength, it also puts added stress on his body, and as a result... He's a little bit more in the danger zone as it relates to injuries. That may make no sense, and please just call me out at Jmart Zone if you think that that make that that's nonsense. But I feel like you always hear about how hard he works out, and that's a big part of who he is. But he gets hurt so often. Yeah, his body might betray him, but is it possible he might just need to back off and take some more rest days? Is it going to hurt him that much? Because it doesn't matter how good he looks or how big his arms are or whatever like that or how strong he is if he can't be on the field to help his team. And for the third time in four years, he can't. And you want to watch that guy play football. Hate to see him continually get injured, but I just have to wonder, maybe he's working out too hard. I do think that there's at least some logic behind my argument there. And then finally, the Packers beat Matt Moore and the Chiefs. First off, credit to Matt Moore. Matt Moore played a really good football game. Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, right? 23 of 33, but he was sacked five times. He threw three touchdowns and no interceptions. Matt Moore was 24 of 36 with two touchdowns and no picks, only sacked twice. He played, he played just fine. Now, Sean McCoy fumbled. That was big. There were a couple of defensive lapses, but even Kansas City's defense played pretty well and got after Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was buttressed by maybe a better Aaron on Sunday. Aaron Jones. 159 yards on seven receptions, 67 yards on 13 carries. That's over 200 combined yards for Jones. You have to wonder why in the world he didn't get the ball more last year, but maybe that's why Matt LaFleur's there and Mike McCarthy's not. I still don't know what to say other than this about LaFleur. I was not wrong that it did not seem like he did anything impressive in Tennessee. And having Aaron Rodgers helps out. And Aaron Rodgers having a fresh face that lets him in two-minute offenses, this is what you've seen. Aaron Rodgers is fine being coached, and then in two minutes he kind of wants the freedom to make decisions for himself in a lot of those cases. And it seems like that is what, if you read his lips, what LaFleur said when it was time to get that final first down and finish out the game last night. He said, go win the game. And Aaron Rodgers went and won the game. It's working right now. And if it continues to work, then I will readily say that they made the right hire. Right now, it looks pretty good. They're one of the best teams in the NFC, one of the top three, to be sure, at 7-1. and one. Impressive for Green Bay, and it looks like they're going to walk to that division. The Vikings are the only team that you put with them, and I just think Green Bay's better than they are right now. I trust them more, and I certainly trust Aaron Rodgers more than I trust Kirk Cousins, even with them adding play action where he's at his best. I think it could be an intriguing division, the Bears aren't going to be involved in it. 
The Lions, they're just a little bit too far behind, but that'll be an intriguing race. So that's a look at everything that I can think of as it relates to football, plus a little bit of a sidebar off the top of this show. Again, you won't hear me until Friday on the Big Six. I will have a piece on AEW a little bit later on this week and Pop Six on The Office with David Reed, Rep Brian, and me. That is something to, well, if you look forward to what I do, then that's something that you can look forward to as well. I'm blessed beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise. I hope you recognize that you are as well. My thanks to you for all your support, for your time, just for the minutes that you listen to me or read anything that I do. I am just so appreciative of that, and I don't take it for granted. I'm so thankful for the opportunities that have been presented to me. I hope that I make the best use of your time when you give it to me. It's amazing that I actually make a living talking about escapes, and sometimes we all need to escape. And sometimes, like like off the top, a couple of things maybe need to be said or at least need to be discussed or put out there to be discussed. And maybe by the end of the week, I'll have more cogent thoughts on that. But I appreciate you just kind of dealing with that or, or listening to my almost just discussion in my own brain for the first part of this. Intriguing week. Great week, actually, for Tennessee. Tennessee wins. The Titans win. I, I, you know what? I didn't talk about the Titans. I can't go until I talk about the Titans. That's a win they had to have. The offense didn't look good in the first half. Derrick Henry did okay. Uh, Tannehill didn't make a bad turnover in the game for the second week in a row, which is very, very good. Defense looked good. Simmons made some plays. Jameis Winston threw some interceptions and fumbled the ball. Neither one of the fumbles was his fault, but Bruce Arian said that none of the interceptions were his fault. Uh, false. The one where he overthrew Godwin by seven yards, right to, I don't know if it was Butler or Ryan on that play, but it wasn't good. Uh, secondary played pretty well for Tennessee overall, except for Mike Evans, who's just an absolute beast. I don't know why LaShawn Sims was on him, but he was on him. And Mike Vrabel, I guess this is a good place to end. Mike Vrabel, what are you doing on fourth down? What is that fake? Kick the field goal and go up seven. And don't, don't tell the media afterwards in the press conference that you only question my decisions when they don't work. That is absurd. I saw several people say this, and John Glennon, actually, the athletic, immediately said that's not true. It's not. They're going to ask you about your decision-making process when it works, and we're going to ask you, and we're going to criticize you when it doesn't go well. Yeah, we're not going to criticize you if you go for something that works. One thing I asked Joey Kent, and Josh Ward this week on the Tennessee Tailgate Show is, would we have found out that Jaron Garantano did not call or did not run the play that was called against Alabama on that ill-fated quarterback sneak if it had worked? The answer is yeah, because we probably would have seen Trey Smith pulling. We would have seen everything that was going on there and where the blocking was and realized something was awry. Then we would have kind of shrugged our shoulders because it worked. But you're going to get asked about great decisions that you make you're definitely going to get asked about decisions that should have cost you the game because in another officiating blunder, Brett Kern fumbled that football. It was picked up. It should not have been blown dead. Tampa Bay ran it into the end zone. That should have been a touchdown. And the way that game was trending, the way that it was going, the way the offense had a tough time against that number one rush defense of Tampa Bay, I don't think the Titans would have won that game. I think that was a game-winning touchdown for Tampa Bay that was erroneously blown dead, and if I am Bruce Arians, I am incensed. But the Titans are 4-4. Four and four. Now they go to Carolina. That's going to be very, very difficult. And then here comes Patrick Mahomes. 
It's very possible. Very possible they're four and six. If they are, then that's that's not going to be very good. I think we know that. If they can go to Carolina and get that win, which they're capable of doing, we'll have to see what happens here because Kyle Allen, who had played well and still is playing pretty well, ran into a really tough defense and got humbled a bit as a rookie in that game. But the Titans' defense is another one that's capable of making him look bad. And if Cam is healthy, which the indicator is now he is, then maybe you see him. But at Panthers, then the Chiefs, then the Jaguars, and then we're going down this stretch. If you are 4-6 and six with Jaguars, Colts, Raiders, Texans, Saints, Texans to go, you're not making the playoffs. In fact, if you're 5-5, five and five, I don't think you are either. There's too many losable games, and I don't think this team is consistent enough to get on a run because they don't have a true QB1. They've got somebody that can win games, and they've got some talented players, no question, and they've got a good defense. March for error is too small offensively, and the offense is just not consistent enough. There is blame that you can place around. We're going to have to keep watching to see where this all ends up. At Panthers is somehow, even though it's a really tough ask, it feels like a must win because Mahomes will be back on the field for Kansas City and Nashville. And even with that secondary, there's just too many weapons. If you're four and six, that means you got to run the table. They're not going to do it. I've already said the Titans season ended in Denver. When you lost to Buffalo and you lost to Denver in a row, that was a wrap on the season. They still have a chance to prove me wrong. They have won two in a row now. They're taking advantage of four out of five at home. They've won the first two of those. But it's only going to get tougher from here. And I feel like the sins of early in the year are not going to be redeemed because the schedule just doesn't stack up for Tennessee to get there. Okay, that is the quick six for this Monday, October the 28th, 2019. I haven't even looked at how long we've been going. I bet you I was thinking, let's get this thing in on, in, on uh, you know, under 30 minutes. I'm going to go ahead and say that probably didn't happen, but I hope you enjoyed it. I will see you next week on this show. I will see you Friday on the Big Six. And until then, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night or good afternoon or good morning, depending on when you're listening to this podcast from Nashville.